Hello and welcome to Together We Create, a podcast about collaborative social research. My name's Lili Gomahamadi. I'm a collaborative researcher working across design technology and social research and a final year PhD student at UCL. In each episode, I will be talking to an early career researcher at UCL to find out more about how and why social researchers collaborate with engineers, scientists, health practitioners and designers, and hearing about their research stories and top tips as we discuss the benefits and challenges of taking a multidisciplinary approach. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Guy Hoyrig. He studied anthropology in Brazil, and in 2016, he joined UCL Social Anthropology with a British Academy Newton International Fellowship. In 2019, he retrained as a professional software engineer, but in 2020, returned to UCL with a prestigious Leverhulme Trust Early Career Fellowship. Guy, you had a bit of time away, so you where you retrained as a professional software engineer, and you, you worked a little in that area, didn't you? Um, but what pulled you back how did anthropology pull you back to UCL yes so before uh before coming back to UCL I retrained as a software engineer and I spent some time working as a professional software engineer both as a as a way of trying to understand and to know a bit more what that area is like Mm -hmm. I had some time before I was uh, going to come back to UCL and start this project and I thought it would be a good idea to get some professional experience. My idea was just that the more experience I, I would have in different areas, in different ways in which you can work as a programmer, mm-hmm. then that the best would be for the project itself. It's also, even though I was not formally, if you will, or institutionally doing anthropology at that moment, having that professional experience also felt like doing anthropology to me, as in anthropology is something that you learn by going to a place and living and doing and uh, trying to to live life like the people that you're trying to think about live their lives. So working as a professional programmer just made sense. Mm -hmm. So Key's project Code Anth explores programming in computational cultures and focuses on a programming language created in Japan in the early 90s called Ruby. So can you tell us a little bit about the Ruby programming language and why you chose to study it? Yeah, Ruby is an amazing language. It's the first language that I learned properly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what it's called an object-oriented language. And it was created in Japan in the 90s by uh, Yukihiro Matsumoto, which is known, mm-hmm. who's known as Mats in the sort of programming world. And the idea of Ruby is to be as close to the English syntax and sort of keywords as you can. Oh. And that is basically to get people to to learn it you know easily the reason i guess the reason why i chose it for the project was ruby is quite a niche language as well it's 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 used a lot in uh sort of training courses and things like that in japan it's used for a lot of different things for launching rockets uh, and <laughs> for a lot of different things wow. but mostly around the world it's used for web development so web applications and things like that And the reason why is because it was easy to just get an application up and running and get things going. But the reason why I chose it was, well, two things. One, because the idea that a programming language could be similar to a natural language, like uh, something that Ruby programmers often say, a Ruby is, is exactly like English or it sounds like English or it looks like English, was very interesting because, well, what programming languages and natural languages are 
obviously not the same thing. So trying to make them be a bit similar, it's it's just very interesting because you have to imagine that there are always two ends of who's reading computer code, right? So on one end, programmers, human or computer programmers are reading that code. And on the other end, computers are reading that code and trying to execute it. So it's always a balance between from which side you're trying to read that code. Right? So the idea that you could have one language that works both for computers and for programmers and look like English sounded very interesting. And it proved to be interesting so far, I think. And the second reason was that Ruby, as I said, like Ruby is a bit of a niche language. It's not as huge as some of the other languages that you often hear about. Python, JavaScript, or even more traditional languages, I guess, like C. And these languages have enormous communities and so many users, so many people using it. And I think that that's probably a bit from my background in anthropology, especially doing anthropology in the Amazon where I did before mm. and trying to find a smaller, more contained community, if that makes sense. Yeah. So finding a language there like Ruby that has a really tight and really beautiful community, but it's not massive, if that makes sense. So I've been reading some of your blog posts on your project website, which I would really recommend. And I also really love the title of your blog posts. So things like embarrassing words, chunky bacon and not my type. I'd really recommend people go and have a little read of those because they're really fun. (laughs) And uh, they do kind of ignite a sense of uh, curiosity in the Ruby programming language and programming languages in general. And I certainly learned a lot from reading them. So thank you for writing those. <laughs> no, thank you. I think uh, it's, it's nice to mention actually something about how that uh, happened because I didn't, I didn't set out to have, like have a, uh, a blog at the beginning mm-hmm. of the project. And it came through conversations with uh, the Ruby programmers asking me how I was going to make that research uh, public, how I would re- make the results available. Mm-hmm. And one of them suggested like, well, why don't you write like a small, small blog or something that you could start sharing this instead of waiting till the end. And then people can start interacting with you and then giving you feedback on it. And then we can, we can learn a bit more about how the research is going. So I think that's, it's something that came from the conversations with programmers, I guess, which is something that is probably important in doing interdisciplinary work where you kind of have to be open to change everything really to change the way you're going to present things, to change the methods that you're using, to change some of the focus of the research while you are doing it. It might be a bit scary to to change what you set out to do at the beginning, but it's just part of the process, I guess. Yeah, and it makes it enjoyable and accessible for other people. And yeah, the way you capture those conversations, because you include sort of snippets of what people have said and from whether it's from conferences or you've attended or conversations that you've had or uh, conversations online that you've, you've read, you kind of thread them together really nicely and communicate this this living community really beautifully, I thought. Thank you. That's That's really nice to hear. So from reading your one of your, your blog posts, it, yeah, you were kind of saying like how it's not yet overly formalized, like it's still got that fluidity because they haven't put in too many uh, rules and restrictions. Is, is that correct? I think it's more that they've, they've avoided a lot of things that make languages faster, mm-hmm. but that make them a bit harder to read. Mm-hmm. So if you add more 
brackets and braces and semicolons and things like that, you end up with a faster code because it's you can give instructions to the machine more easily like that. But at the same time, it's harder to read. So it's harder to find what, what you need to, to do in that code. And what, what the Ruby uh, developers has tried to do was to create things that even though they, they might run a bit slower or they might be harder, I guess, for the computer to read, they are easier for human programmers to read. Right. So you're able to remove some of the brackets and create code that sounds a little bit like English. And from what I understand, it's it's quite accessible for beginners as well, beginners to coding. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think if you need, uh, this is just one example, but if you say you need to get a data object from, from a year ago, you could do that in various ways in different languages. But in Ruby, if you do the number one dot year dot ago, it will give you a date object from mm -hmm. one year ago. And that's just a very intuitive and very simple and beautiful, a lot of Ruby programmers would say, to work your way with, with data and with, with coding. Wow. Yeah. And of course, there's, there's a limit to that, right? So if you think, sure, that, there's, that sounds a little bit like English, but it's not exactly like English. And so one of the questions that I've been trying to pursue is, what is this English that we're talking about here right yeah. because it's definitely not the definition of the english language that i guess linguists or sociolinguists even would would use right so mm -hmm. and then and then it becomes very interesting to see to think about like what is this english really mm -hmm. yeah so fascinating so what are you hoping to find out with this project i think i'm hoping to find out two things so one is what are the the shared values what are the cultural values that Ruby programmers have and share and, and how do they create those values and how is that relation related to more general or programming cultural values right so what is it specific about the Ruby community and the other thing the other thing that I would like to get out of this project is how can anthropology and programming uh, intersect in different ways right mm -hmm. so uh, what are these what are these intersections between programming and anthropology how can learning to program feedback into the way we do uh, research in anthropology yeah. and how can anthropology sort of collaborate to think about communities and, and, and these shared values in programming, right? So that's perhaps one of the hardest uh, things, uh, but that's one, one of the things I would, would like to get out of this project, yeah. In this podcast series, we're exploring different ways of doing collaborative social research. And so I want to talk to you about how your research actually works. So you're quite unique in that you're both, as you were saying, you're both an anthropologist uh, and a programmer and software engineer. How do you bring the ideas and methods of anthropology and computer science together in CODAMP? I guess quite often interdis interdisciplinary work works by bridging people to different people from different backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. one way, I guess, of exploring all these questions would be to get someone from computer science and get someone from anthropology and then create a dialogue there. I took a more unusual route, I guess. So the way I've been doing this is firstly by using uh, ethnography, which is the main sort of methodological approach that anthropologists mm. use in trying to learn how what programmers do. So that means working with programmers 
which I did in a, at a startup for about a year doing field work, working on a daily basis on trying to solve programming problems and try to understand what it is to to be a programmer, right? And to work and, and learn it with them while doing that. I've also added on top of that interviews and more like longer in conversations and interviews with programmers about their lives and about their journeys and about what it means to be a programmer. And the other side of this would be, I guess, to get anthropologists to program a little bit more. And that has proved to be quite tricky so far. It's been much easier to get programmers to think anthropologically, if that makes sense, than to get anthropologists to do some programming, which I think is, is, is very interesting. And I, I still, I'm still to build those, um, those bridges. But yeah, but I, I think it's very interesting. It's been quite challenging in, in that sense for the project. Yeah. Yeah, because I imagine I'm not an anthropologist, but just as someone who I'm new to the idea of learning some coding, it seems very intimidating. And do you think it's just like a a fear that's stopping anthropologists when you're saying it's difficult for them? Um, I don't. I don't know. I think. I think there is a bit of a fear of what programming might be, but I think anthropology and the social sciences more generally have been quite critical of of programming for really, really good reasons. For example, when exploring racial bias and exploring gender bias and exploring how data is being used and, and how people are unaware of how their data is being used and all those issues have been looked at really uh, in really interesting ways in anthropology. But I think that that has also created a feeling that programmers, coders, whatever you want to call them, it's that we, would, that we wouldn't get too too close right so we we don't want to get too close to what those guys do if that makes sense and i think that's been the main challenge so far to getting more anthropologists to, to discuss this even though to be honest when i do give talks and i do present people are generally interested but it's been hard to get more anthropologists to be interested in learning to program and and to think about it like that i guess that's been the main challenge so say I, I sat down and I did really try to learn Ruby and I got better at it. Yeah, I'd, I imagine it would just give me a much deeper understanding of the culture that I'm studying, the dis understanding of the discussions that are going on about the coding. And um, I imagine it once you get into it, it does become a virtuous circle and you get more and more engaged and, and you're, you're understanding this language that you're, you're studying and the process of its evolution, your understanding is much richer through doing that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think to me, like the learning to program has more than anything allowed me to pose more questions. Each thing that you learn allow you to ask more questions, which are not necessarily more technical, right? And that just feeds into your learning. So I guess going back to your previous questions, I guess a bit of the fear is that programming is this huge block of skills that you need to learn everything. And then once you've learned it, then you completed that some sort of journey. And I think what I've, I've learned, at least from programmers, is that you, there's a constant need to learn. And you'll never learn any everything there is to be learned about computers, about programming, about the history of programming languages or about techniques, right? You get comfortable up to a point. And, but the most important thing is, is to learn what you need to do what you need to do. And I think that's something that programmers focus on a lot, which is pro that programming is about building things. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps that's 
a little bit of the the fear that we have in anthropology as well because we're maybe we're not that used to building things but once you start uh, and then you learn a little thing that you need for that specific project and then you move on and and learn a new thing after that so yeah yeah oh sounds great (laughs) i want to come and do that So as part of the UCL Festival of Code, you brought together a panel of computer scientists who work with different programming languages to debate the cultural values of programming. What was the main thing that you learned from that collaborative event? That was an amazing event. We had four, well, five, including me, I guess, uh, programmers talking about the Ruby community, the Python community, R, Julia and Fortran. They are very different languages with very different histories. Fortran has been around since the 1950s. And of course, Julia perhaps being the most recent language of those. But I guess the main thing was that I learned was that there's a lot of interest in talking about those differences between programming languages, those shared values, those cultural values, and the history of programming languages amongst programmers. They are really interested in talking about that. Could you give like just one example, a concrete example from that? Yeah, I could. I I think, for example, in Ruby, there's uh, a lot of emphasis in writing code and solving specific programming problems in the way that you would like to do it. There's an emphasis on allowing programmers to do it your own way. In the Python community, for instance, the emphasis is not on that sort of freedom, if you will. The, The emphasis is on... There's one way in which the community decided that there's one best way of solving different things. And you should always do it like that. And that, of course, you can extrapolate and people do extrapolate and say, well, and then Ruby is about giving programmers freedom and Python is about restricting programmers. and And then those debates are obviously endless. But my point is that they're not just endless, but they're interesting, right? Because they they show how different perspectives on the world inform how programmers work. And conversely as well, how different programming languages inform the way in which people think about the world. So if you're working on a language that you believe gives you more freedom, you might think about politics in a different way, I guess. And those things are, are, are connected sometimes. I'm hoping that you can offer some advice for other social researchers who want to do collaborative research with computer scientists or other disciplines. So what qualities and skills have helped you to move between the different research perspectives of anthropology and computer programming? I think the main thing you need to do is to have empathy and to choose something that you're genuinely interested in. Don't just choose something because you want to criticize it necessarily or not from your initial perspective I'd say I think that learning something that is completely different from what you've done I think requires something like it requires a suspension of judgment Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it requires you to pause uh, that judgment for a while and you know go and try to learn what what it is that you need to learn but yeah, I guess choose something that you're passionate about and, and that, you, that you feel that you want to learn more, that you, that you really want to, to engage with. And then, yeah, just try to find that, that sort of empathic approach, I guess. That's 
that's the main idea. So with you, I guess it was, you had come from this background in anthropology. So it was kind of like social anthropology with an area, yeah. an interest in uh, linguistics. And then you, from what I understand, then that kind of tied into this almost like side interest you had in programming. And then you went away and learned a bit of programming. And then you tied those together into your new project. I suppose what you're saying is it's like this gentle snowballing effect and kind of allowing things to build on each other and 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 staying aware of things that might be your side interest for now but then might be something you go away and and learn a bit more about and then that feeds into a bigger project that becomes your focus yeah yeah that's a, that's a really good summary yeah you've been listening to together we create this episode was presented by myself lily Mohammadi and produced by Karis Bradley. I was joined today by Guy Hoyerick. If you want to find out more about his research or the podcast series, please follow the links in the description. This podcast is brought to you by the UCL Collaborative Social Science Domain.